This episode of The Ziggler Show is sponsored in part by PipeDrive. PipeDrive is a CRM tool for small teams with big ambitions. Sales can be tough, but they don't have to be. With PipeDrive, the pain and frustration of tracking deals with email and spreadsheets, gone forever. Entrepreneurs like PipeDrive because it visualizes your sales pipeline, highlighting opportunities and potential problems, ultimately ensuring important activities and conversations don't get dropped. Head over to pipedrive.com slash Ziggler to start your 30-day free trial today. Built around the concept that you can have everything in life you want, if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Well, remember, you were born to win. But in order to be the winner you were born to be, you got to plan to win, you got to prepare to win, and then and only then can you legitimately expect to win. You see, with integrity, you do the right thing. When you do the right thing, there's no guilt. With integrity, you have nothing to fear because you have nothing to hide. See, folks, failure is an event. It's not a person. Yesterday really did end last night. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. Friends, welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and it is my unique privilege to bring today's profound message to you. The Ziggler Show is founded on what Zig Ziggler, the world's most prolific motivator, devoted his life to, inspiring your true performance. You can have the best tools, uh, resources, and even opportunity, but unless you are truly inspired, you'll be hopeful but remain where you are. What is the definition of inspired? Listen to this. To influence or animate with an idea or purpose. Did you hear that? Animate with a purpose. If you want to take action, you have to know and be motivated by true purpose. That's deep, folks, and it is why you are here. Let's dig in and change your world so you can change this world. We need all you've got to offer. Desperate. Folks, today I bring you show number 347, and the title is, Is There Godly Aspiration and Ambition? And we have a special guest, a guest who I'm a little intimidated by. Why? Because my dad, Dan Miller of 48 Days to the Work You Love fame, says the guy is, and I quote, the best interviewer I've ever seen. Well, today I'm interviewing him. But the point of this show is to bring you the best and inspiration. If there is any hope for you to have successful life in the way that you define that, you must have hope and that hope must be fueled. Folks, this show today is high octane fuel. So who's our guest? It's the acclaimed interviewer and broadcaster, Ken Coleman. He's the host of the Dave Ramsey show video channel and the top rated entree leadership podcast uh, and the author of One Question, Life-Changing Answers from Today's Leading Voices, which you can get now at DaveRamsey.com. So Ken resides in Franklin, Tennessee, a place I called home for a decade, but with his wife, Stacy, and their three children, Ty, Chase, and Josie. 
Ken has interviewed the biggest of the big when it comes to leadership. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki, I think, was just his most recent one. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Donald Miller, Seth Godin. And in recent interviews, my dad again, Dan Miller, was August 31st. And Tom Ziegler, who's going to be with us today, was interviewed by Ken on April 27th of 2015. So since I haven't been asked for an interview on his show, we invited him on to ours. Uh, this show is going to be a bit longer than normal because I want you to hear a 27-minute clip from Ken. It was given at a convocation at Liberty University at North America's largest weekly gathering of Christian students. Ken talks about how to find God's will for your life by finding your sweet spot, the spot where your biggest strength and your greatest passion intersect. It's a profound and moving talk. I'm going to give it to you here, but then uh, Tom Ziegler and I are going to be joined by Ken afterwards just to chop at the root of the talk. And I'm actually going to take us a little bit different direction. Uh, we're going to hit on aspiration. Should we aspire to much or, or to more, or should we just count our blessings and be content with, you know, wherever we happen to be? Uh, that may sound simplistic, but it's a root issue regarding many things. I mean, contentment and fulfillment and despair and anxiety and purpose or purposelessness. So unless you're 110% at peace with where you are and where you're going in life, then this show is something you should pay close attention to. Uh, before the clip starts, have you ever heard of Earth Class Mail? Folks, they take your mail and make it digital. It's amazing. They move your snail mail to the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7. You get to choose a real professional address to share publicly with customers or business partners or investors or friends. Your mail goes there. They make it electronic and can even help you deal with it if you want, paying bills and such. Again, just really amazing. So visit earthclassmail.com slash Ziggler, and you'll get your first month of service free when you sign up. That's earthclassmail.com slash Ziggler. All right, here then is 27 minutes of real world inspiration for your life directly from Ken Coleman. Enjoy this. I want to talk to you about something that a mentor shared with me in my early 20s that's going to hit you right where you're at. And it's hugely important. And if you get this today, young people, listen to me, you're going to be so far ahead of the rest of the world, it'll blow your mind. You ready to go? We're going to talk about questions. How many of you in this room grew up in church? Let me see your hand real quick. All right, good. How many of you also went to church camps growing up? Okay. How many of you know this phrase, the will of God? How many of you actually right now know what it is for your life? A lot less hands. That's okay. Hey, that's okay. I didn't know either. And you ready for this? Our churches in America are full of people who have no idea what it is they're supposed to do with their life. I was a young person. I remember youth pastors and preachers and youth camp evangelists would say, young people, don't miss God's will for your life. And I'm out there going, I don't want to, but I don't know what it is. Right? You know that anxiety. And right now you're in the most important transitional phase of your life as you get ready to move into what adults like to say the real world right and so what are the big questions we all ask so if you grew up in church you heard people say hey don't miss the will of God for your life but you didn't hear a whole lot about how to find it so today we're going to talk about what's the number one question we all ask deep in the dark crevices of our mind and our heart many nights we lay awake what should I do with my life 
Or another way to say it is, why am I here? Why am I here? So how do we answer that big question? Here's how you answer it. Write this down. You ready? How do you answer the big question? What am I here for? You find your sweet spot. It's that simple. You find your sweet spot. But that begs another big question, Ken. Thanks for that great information. But how do I find my sweet spot? I'm glad you asked me. My mentor shared this with me when I was in my early 20s. And it rocked my world. It answers the big question. How do I find God's will for my life? You have got to find how God designed you. What should I do with my life? The answer is what he designed you to do. But how do you find that? Well, he's written on your heart a sweet spot. Here's how it goes. If I had a whiteboard up here, I'd draw two lines for you. So on your paper right now, draw two lines. Draw one line going this way on the left side. And on the right side, draw another line. On the left side, write strength. On the other side, write passion. You find your sweet spot by finding the intersection of your greatest strength and your greatest passion. What are you really, really good at? Plot those things out in your dorm later. You can even do it now if you know instinctively. Some of you in here actually know this already. Some of you don't. It's okay. God wrote this on your heart. The will of God for your life is not the giant mystery that you think it is. It's not the unanswerable question that millions of Christians think it is. God, the creator of the universe, the person who designed you uniquely and wonderfully for this world, wrote it on your heart. What's your greatest strength? You may not know it yet. You can find it. Take a strength finders test. Strength finders 2.0. It's very simple. It'll help you begin to dig through this. What's your greatest passion? This is what you do for free. This is what you think about every waking moment. It's what you want to charge with everything you've got. Your sweet spot in life is at the intersection of your greatest strength and your greatest passion. Let me illustrate what the sweet spot is not. How many of you watch American Idol or The Voice or any of these singing shows? Yeah. My wife and I, I guess, are technically old in this building, Johnny, so we still like American Idol. Yeah. How many of you have noticed in the auditions, don't you love the auditions? Right now it's funny to you. When you become a parent, you're going to get very sad about this. You know what I'm talking about. Kid walks in. We've seen him on camera for about a minute telling us how great they are. Goes something like this. Oh, yeah, I'm really good. I'm really good. Everybody in my life, all my friends told me I can sing really good. And we all begin to get the pucker factor. Oh, geez. This could be ugly. They walk into the audition room and they proceed to butcher a song humiliate themselves, and then the judges tell them the truth, which is, you stink. You can't sing. You shouldn't try to do this for a living. And then what happens? Hilarity ensues. They get outraged. They doubt the experts. They walk out in the hallway while the cameras follow them, and they swear at the camera and flip them off. You're nuts. You're crazy. I'll be a star. That's not the sweet spot. What's happening there? Music or to be famous, unfortunately, with this younger generation, to be famous is their great passion. So American Idol or being a star or singing is high on their passion line. You staying with me? But it's really low on their talent line. That's not the sweet spot. 
That's why they leave so confused and angry. It was really high up here, but they don't have the talent to make it. Now let's flip it. Corporate America, guy's knocking down half a million dollars a year or more. He's really good. She, this woman, this man, they're good at their job. They get paid top dollar, but they're miserable. They fall into addiction. They cheat on their spouse. They're walking around like zombies. They're miserable. What's the situation there? Really good at their job, high on their strength line, but really low on their passion line. I'll give, I'll give you a great example. I love the game of basketball. Later tonight, I'll go to the national championship game in Atlanta to root my Michigan Wolverines on. Go blue! Sorry, Johnny, I had to get that in. But I'm passionate about the game of basketball. But look at me. I'm a five foot nine white guy who can't jump over a piece of paper. If I tried to be a professional basketball player, I would starve. That's not what the sweet spot is. This is simple, but so profound. Let me illustrate one of my favorite stories of what the sweet spot is and how it plays out. Anybody in here, you young people, know who David Copperfield is, the magician? I'll bet you didn't know this. David Copperfield is the highest grossing entertainer in the history of the world. Not Garth Brooks, not Michael Jackson, David Copperfield has sold, ready for this, more than $4 billion in ticket sales. I was watching him on Oprah's new show. I do watch Oprah and I'm proud of it. Thank you, sir. See me afterwards. We can exchange man cards. Hey, I love Oprah. She's got this new show called Oprah's Next Chapter. And in it, she just goes to these famous people's homes and it ends up being an hour long show and she sits down and she interviews. I'm an interview junkie and so I love watching this stuff. And so I was recently watching an interview with David Copperfield. She goes to the Bahamas. David Copperfield's so rich. Bahamas, there we go. Uh, David Copperfield's so rich, he bought 10 islands in the Bahamas. Okay? David's doing real well. And... Uh, so they're hanging out at David's place, right? David's place. Do you like that? I worked that in. I wish you could have seen what David's place looked like when I was here. You'd just come up here and give me a hug. Uh, so she's interviewing David Copperfield. And she gets halfway through the interview and she says, how did you figure out that magic was what you wanted to do with your life? And he said something that blew me away and it perfectly illustrates what the sweet spot is and what it looks like when we walk in it. He said, Oprah, when I was a kid, I went to New York City one day and my mom and dad took me into a magic shop and I just picked up a couple tricks and I was pretty good at it. So they bought me a few. Went home and we figured out, I figured out, they figured out I was really good at doing these tricks. So they bought more and they bought more and they bought more. Then he started performing as a child performer. Bottom line is everybody figured out David Copperfield was a natural genius when he came to doing magic tricks and illusions. He said, but Oprah, what I really love growing up were stories. I loved to read. I loved to watch movies, television. I loved going to plays. And he said, I just figured out one day as a teenager that what I needed to do was figure out a way to tell stories with my magic. Strength, magic. Passion, stories. 
the greatest entertainer in the history of the world, figured out his sweet spot very early on. It's that simple. That's what it looks like. Now, okay, Ken, now what do I do? I find my sweet spot. What's next? You ready? This is unbelievable. Get ready to write this down. This is huge. Step in it and stay there. Step into your sweet spot and stay there. It is not enough, young people, to find your sweet spot. Our world is littered with people who know what they should be doing and they won't step in it. They're scared. They're scared of the unknown. And let me just tell you something, young people. I am 38 years old. I sat where you are. I am standing in my sweet spot because I had the courage to step in it and stay there. And that's when God, your Abba Father, steps up and says, yes, my son, Yes, my daughter, you're where I want you to be and you don't know what's coming next and now I can step in and build the bridge for you and I can get the glory. It's faith. You gotta step in it and stay there. It's not enough just to find it. You gotta step in it and you gotta stay there. Let me tell you my favorite, favorite sweet spot story of a guy who stayed with it. Jeremy Lin, you all know Jeremy Lin well, do you not? You know the story? I'll go through it really fast. Stay with me and watch this. Guy goes to Harvard, doesn't get drafted. Nobody wants to draft an Asian guy from Harvard to play in the NBA. It's just a reality. Nobody gives him a shot. The guy can play basketball. He signs a free agent contract, gets cut two times last season. Gets cut twice. Goes to the New York Knicks, he's down, he's depressed, he's sleeping on his brother's couch. He tells his brother two nights before he gets in his first Nick game, he's on a temporary contract. He tells his brother, I think I'm done. I think I'm gonna just go into ministry. I think I'm done, I can't take it anymore. And the reason I tell you that part of the story is because when you find your sweet spot, young people, listen to me, it's not all roses. It's still tough. It still requires faith. Jeremy Lin is about ready to quit. You know the story. He gets put in the game. The New York Knicks are terrible. They're awful. They have no other point guards. Sorry, it was just a fact. They were bad. And Mike D'Antoni, the coach at the time, says, Lynn, get in the game. And the rest is history. Do you think for one second that Jeremy Lynn figured out how to play basketball right then and there? No. He was in his sweet spot. And the right time came along. How many of you have heard the phrase, oh, he was in the right place at the right time? I hate that phrase. I hate it. Because it's usually said like this at a party. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, yeah, really cool, amazing. Yeah, I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, dumb luck. It's not true. I hate that. We should say it like this, and I would like you all to start a revolution, right? Next time you hear somebody say that, go, no, he was in the right place, and the right time happened. He was in the right place, and the right time happened. Here's what's true about finding your sweet spot and stepping in it and staying there. Is that if you find the sweet spot, you put all of your energy, all of your energy into staying in the right place. Find the right place, stay there. Put all of your energy. Listen to me. The next three or four years are huge for you all. Don't worry about the rest of it. Worry about one thing. Finding and staying in the right place. And if you do that, the right time will find you. I promise you, just like it found Jeremy Lin. He stayed where he was supposed to stay. He got his opportunity. 
and he made the most of it. The legendary John Wooden, I had an opportunity to spend a day with him one time. One of my favorite quotes from John Wooden is, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. It's too late. You'll miss your opportunity if you're not in the right place. I don't even care about the right time. If I've learned anything in 38 years is that my plans don't match up with God's timetable. He's not interested in my timetable. What he's interested in is do I find the right place? And then do I have the faith to stay there and wait for his time? And then folks will marvel at God's timing. Chick-fil-A. Johnny and I were talking about this. He introduced me. Listen, do you realize I was doing a Saturday radio show? Do you know how many people listen to Saturday radio shows? Three. One of them was my wife. That's where you got to start. And I have the CEO, Chick-fil-A, come on my show. And I'm hustling just for the chance to break into drive time radio to hustle. Day job, working on the dream job. Already written the book, hustling. And Dan Cathy comes on my show. I ask him a harmless question. He answers it, but he takes it in another direction. Three weeks later, a gay blogger finds the interview and puts it up there. Next thing you know, my little teeny tiny show on Saturdays in Atlanta is splashed all over every major media outlet you can imagine, from the nightly news to Jon Stewart and on and on and on it goes. I had no control over that. That has nothing to do with me. Do you get how funny God thinks that is? He thinks that's hilarious. You're in the right place, Ken Coleman. You're an absolute nobody. But I'm going to use your little show for my glory. It's unbelievable. You can't believe the opportunities I've had. A prominent gay activist flies me in on his private plane two weeks later to spend a day with him talking about how evangelicals and those in the gay community can have a very civil dialogue. What am I doing there? What am I doing in this situation? The answer, I'm doing exactly what God has designed for me to do, but I had no idea how it was going to work out. Get in your sweet spot and stay there. Now, I want to make a quick note that I think you're going to struggle with as you get a little bit older. Some of you may now. Johnny, I know you and I struggle with this, so I'm going to put you on the spot. I know this is true. I struggle with this. When you find your sweet spot, there's something really exciting about it because you know you're where you're supposed to be and things just start to happen for you because you're where you're supposed to be. But then this temptation comes along to always be thinking about the next. You like that, Johnny? I'm always thinking about the next. Always think, what's next? What's next? Yes, this is great. Yes, my my first book came out. Yes, it had a first great week. What's next? And the temptation is to get so obsessed with the next, that we miss what God has for us in the now and we ultimately sacrifice the next. The very thing we're obsessed about. What's next, God? What's next? What can I do to get over here? I want to keep moving. It's natural. Progress is wired into us. But I would be remiss if I didn't give you this advice today. Because you go-getters that are in the building, those of you that are ready to charge hell with a water pistol, you know who you are. You're always going to be tempted to be thinking about what's next. And I want to say it again because I want you to catch this. God wants you to be totally present in the now. Because he's got you there on purpose. He puts you there. And if I'm so obsessed about what's next... 
I'll miss what's for me in the now, who God wants me to meet, who God wants me to serve, who God wants me to help, who God wants me to learn from. If we're so obsessed with what's next, we'll miss what we need in the now and ultimately sacrifice what's next. Okay, so we've gone through what should I do with my life, what God designs you to do. How do I figure that out? Find your sweet spot, the intersection of your greatest strength and your greatest passion. What do I do when I find my sweet spot? Step in it and stay there. Let's do that together. Step in and say, what do I do when I find my sweet spot? Oh, I love crowd reaction. Finally, what's it look like? What is sweet spot living or walking in God's will look like? It's all around you. You see it all the time. Let me go back to my American Idol illustration. This is one of my favorite stories I've seen in all the years of American Idol. Last season, there was a little gal from the Northeast called Holly Cavanaugh. Holly Cavanaugh, little teeny, petite little gal, blonde hair, very shy. I remember seeing her in some of the early auditions. She just looked terrified when she'd walk up and stand in front of the judges to sing. And I'll never forget, she had an amazing voice, but she still wasn't experiencing the confidence. Fast forward to she made it to the final 12 or whatever it is. I'll never forget one specific night. It just hit me. She walked on the stage and the song began. And even as she walked out to get ready to sing, you could still see her natural timidity and her introvert personality. But when the music started and she began to sing, it was only a few bars into the song when you could see the metamorphosis take place. And you saw this little shy, timid girl begin to transform into this amazing, beautiful songbird. And she's hitting these towering notes. And she's moving me in my pajama pants at home. Well, that was a little weird. It's not how I meant it, but I realized it, and you got to step into it, right? Oh, geez. Put that on the highlight reel. All right. Hey, I know, I know. You get my point. I'm, I'm at home watching it, and I'm moved. I'm moved by the power in her voice, and that in that moment, she's stepping up, and she's doing, stay with me. She's doing what she was designed to do. How does this little timid gal stand in front of millions on television and belt out a very difficult song? It's because she was in her sweet spot. That's what it looks like when we step into our sweet spot and we find ourselves in that moment of great fear, in that moment of great anxiety, that, hey, I'm meant to do this. And God steps up in those moments and gives us great courage. I'm so blown away by what's happening on this university. It's so cool to be watching this from afar. And I've had the opportunity to step into some cool situations 
with some national media coverage. I'm an MC of the Catalyst Leadership Conference. Been able to interview some cool people. This book, I mean, it's just a complete, unbelievable act of God. But what fires me up most is when I come back today and I look around this room and we have no idea who among us will literally change the world. But here's the, here's the advice I want to give. I talked about the temptation for focusing on the next earlier. Here's another temptation. So many people identify their sweet spot as I've laid it out to you today. But somewhere along the way, life happens. Roadblocks, detours, sickness, tragedy, it happens. And you start getting your mind off of what your sweet spot is and what God has uniquely designed you to do and the call that is specifically on your life and the niche that only you can fill. You get your mind off of that and you start going, I'm not rich, I'm not famous, I'm not powerful, I'm not gonna make a huge impact. And let me tell you something, you don't have to make a huge impact that a bunch of people see and that people talk about and it gets tweeted and it gets on the news. You only have to make the one impact that you were called to do. So whether it's on a trip to Uganda with the field hockey team, I'm, I'm telling you, God's going to put some people in, you, in your path. You have no idea what it is that's going to happen out of that trip. In fact, you may never know, but one prayer, one hug, one encouragement on the other side of the world could forever change a village, could change a family. You see where I'm going? Don't get hung up people in the stats of life. Don't get hung up in what other people are doing. And I'm gonna tell you something. In this room alone, if 50% of you get this sweet spot thing and really work hard on identifying what your greatest strength is and your greatest passion and where they intersect, you don't have to know all the details. You don't have to know, but you're going to be so far ahead of everybody else. It's going to blow your mind. I said it before. I'll say it again. The world is full of people walking around like zombies. That's why zombie shows are so big right now. People identify with it. Oh, oh, it's Monday. When's Friday coming? I'm having fun, but young people listen to me. How dare you live that way? How dare you live that way? The creator of the universe has designed you to do something absolutely that nobody else can do. And it doesn't matter how big or how grand it is. But it's what you are supposed to do. Life is so short. I can't tell you how many of my friends from my days at Liberty are dead, gone. I don't know if I've got tomorrow. Donald Miller, the writer, said this so well. I'll paraphrase it. But may you live your life that if you go young, people shake their head, not because they're sad, but they shake their head because, wow, they were doing so much, we're gonna miss them. What's your sweet spot? What is it? What's so unique about you that only you can do it? Figure it out, I'll close with this. The poet Henry David Thoreau famously once said, it's one of my favorite quotes ever, if you can write this down, if you can tweet it, it's going to help people. You ready? Most men, and I'll add the word women to his quote, most men and women lead lives of quiet desperation.
Most men and women lead lives of quiet desperation. This is the sad part. And go to the grave with the song still in them. And go to the grave with the song still in them. That's so true, folks. It's so true. So my challenge to you today is this. What's your song? What's your song? Not the song that your dad wants you to sing. Uh Uh-oh. Not the song that your mama wants you to sing. Not the song your grandmother, grandfather wants you to sing. Not the song your youth pastor wants you to sing. Not the song your pastor wants you to sing. What is your song? You find your sweet spot. The intersection of your greatest strength and your greatest passion. You will find your song. And I implore you today to find your song and to start singing it and sing it loud and sing it loud every day, every month, every year of your life. Sing it loud to the top of your lungs until you draw your last breath. And when you enter heaven and you stand before our creator, the great conductor, the person, the God of the universe who wrote that song on your heart, May he look at all of us and say, well sung, well sung. Folks, in this interview coming up, we did it via Skype with myself, Ken, and with Tom Ziegler and had just a couple glitches. So if you hear an audio problem going on, please just bear with it. They're all really brief. There's uh, maybe two or three and they'll uh, fix themselves and go on. So I apologize for that. Um, but it will play through and you will not miss anything. Well, that folks was an inspired message. I'd say also anointed. If you aren't inspired, convicted, or even maybe a little troubled, well, honestly, that's not possible. You wouldn't be listening to this show. I know you were moved. So now we've got Ken with us live as well as Tom Ziegler. And what I want to dig into is aspiration. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But first, For those of you who have an online business and are taking payments online, I want to recognize Braintree. Braintree is the source for easy mobile payments. Uh, Maybe you're working on the next Uber, Airbnb, or GitHub, then why not use the same simple payment solutions that helped them become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless, it's almost magical. Add it to your app with just a few lines of code, and you're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit card even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, they'll support that too. Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support mean you'll always be ready, whether you're earning your first dollar or your billionth. See fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best in-class mobile checking experience. Check it out. Braintreepayments.com slash Ziggler. That's Braintreepayments.com slash Ziggler. I want to welcome you. Thanks so much. It's literally, it was a gift to hear your message and, and dig into it. I'll, uh, I want to introduce everybody to you by letting you tell a little bit of your own Ziegler story. Yeah, my first brush with Zig. Uh, my dad's a pastor still to this day, and uh, he would mention Zig Ziegler quotes many times in sermons. But my first real brush with Zig was as a graduating high school senior. Went to a Christian school, and one of the gifts that the graduating seniors got was a quote book and it had a lot of different 
well-known men and women in there with great quotes. And, you know, it's one of those deals where you didn't even look at it, and I didn't look at it. And I remember packing to go to college, and as I was packing my room up, I was pulling some books off the shelves, always was a big reader, and I saw this little quote book. And I thought, well, you know, this is kind of good. Maybe this would be good to take to college with me, you know. And so I began to thumb through it for the first time. And the first quote that my eye kind of caught, I don't remember what page it was on. It was kind of like opening up a book and putting your finger down on a page and just seeing what it said. Mm. And it was, I'll never forget, it was on the right side. And it was Zig's famous quote, if you help other people get what they want in life, you'll get what you want. And for whatever reason, it just really hit me. And, you know, again, I'm 18 years old. I don't know anything about anything. But it stuck with me. And I remember thinking, this would be a great way to live. I was terribly ambitious. And so I thought, all right, so I think this makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to try to spend as much as, my, much as I can focused on helping other people. And um, I really, it, it has stuck with me to the point that I have made some major decisions in life um, to help other people when I didn't necessarily want to initially. But that quote just haunts me. And I will tell you, that I believe it to be the truest thing that Zig ever said. And he said some amazing things, but I've seen it yield results and fruit in my life. It's clearly biblical. It's just great wisdom. And so Stacy and I both have lived that way. I'm trying to teach my kids that. So I say that to them all the time. They already know the quote. They're like nine, seven, and six. Uh, that's excellent. Okay, so you said in that, you said uh, you were terribly ambitious, which is a perfect lead into what we're going to get into here. But uh, before we do that, I want to I want to ask you a personal question on what you do with interviewing so many folks. I know you have interviewed the best of the best, and you don't know this, but in the intro that I already did before we brought you on here, I said it was a little intimidating because my dad, Dan Miller, said you were the best interviewer he'd ever seen. So just so you know, and so now I'm interviewing you and, you know, feel like second, second run here, but that's okay. But from that, so from all these folks that you, you know, incredible names, big names that you have interviewed, uh, I want to know from that. So when I ask you this question, I want to know who the first person to pop into your mind is. And then of course, why? So who of your fairly recent interviews, doesn't have to be recent, but I'm, I'm thinking recently, I was looking at some of them from one of your questions that they answered or just something that they shared just stopped you in your tracks. You know, maybe in the interview, you, you kept rolling, but later on, after the interview, later that day, the next morning, something stuck. Uh, what was it? Who was it? Why? This is an easy, easy answer for me because of all the interviews I've done, uh, my favorite interview and then the answer that impacted me the most was with Coach K, the legendary Hall of Fame basketball coach for Duke. And I asked him a question about something he wrote in his book, Leading from the Heart. And he has a policy on his basketball team that he calls fair but not equal. So I asked him to expound on this. And the idea is is that he treats the entire team fairly, but not everyone is equal. And his illustration was if we're getting ready to go to a game and a freshman shows up five minutes late, we're gone. But if a senior shows up, maybe even a junior who has – put in the time, has become a part of the family, the team, and it has put in so much effort and built some trust and relationship. I'm going to wait five minutes for them. I won't wait for the freshman. And he said that is fair but not equal. And what it blew me away, I was much younger at the time, but it blew me away on parenting 
uh, because each one of our kids is very, very different. So we've got to be fair and consistent, but we got to, but we have to treat them differently. And then if you look at that from a leadership implication, I mean, my goodness, you could talk about that forever. But, you know, it really speaks to the relationship core of how Coach K leads. And I think the great companies are the ones that lead from a relationship standpoint. They're fair. They're consistent. But we don't treat everybody equally. We're seeing this happen right now on college campuses. We're seeing this this uh, explosion of the everybody gets a trophy mentality that started uh-huh. somewhere between my childhood and my kid's childhood. And it really is an interesting thing because life is not fair, number one. And we aren't all equals. I don't have the speaking talent that Zig Ziglar had. And so, you know, you, you just have to really – soak in on some of the wisdom that you get when you do these interviews. And so that by far for me was one of the wisest things I ever heard anybody tell me in an interview. Okay. And so which show is this on so I can lead people to it? (laughs) You know what? This was for John Maxwell's leadership simulcast about nine years ago. I went back, I went in the way back machine. You asked me recent and I just decided to answer however I wanted to. No, I love it. I love it. Well, I do want to make a call out folks that uh, the entree leadership podcast is one that actually if you're on the Ziegler show and you go down to the uh you know folks who listen to this also listen to whatever I think you'll see it down there and that's uh the show that that Ken leads you got to tune in there if you're not already lynda.com is the leading online learning platform with over 3000 on demand video courses to help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills for a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash Ziggler. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash Ziggler. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. And maybe you want to master Excel or learn negotiation tactics, build a website or boost your Photoshop skills. Go to lynda.com, feed your curious mind. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I want you to visit lynda.com slash Ziggler. Sign up for a free 10-day trial. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash Z-I-G-L-A-R. Well, so, and it's interesting too, I got to, I got to make a call. You saying that there's been a couple shows recently and I've used as an example along those lines, my kids, I got five kids that are doing running races right now, uh, younger kids. And it's all that everybody gets a ribbon and it just drives me crazy. So, all right. Uh, so hey, in your talk now that everybody just listened to, to the Liberty university students, you outline the big question. You say the big question of all of our lives, what should I do with my life? Why am I here? And I am going to make a quick, uh, 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 let's escape here just for a second, because that's the name of your book, One Question. And so that topic, I mean, that's a big, that's a big piece. Tell us real quick, just before we continue on here, because I don't want to miss it. Just tell us real quick about the book. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I got the opportunity to write a book. And honestly, at the time, I didn't feel like I was old enough and had enough to say and uh my book agent simon schuster kind of kept pushing me on it there was interest because of the platform i had at the time and it came down to if i was going to write about one thing what would i write about to me i wanted to illustrate the power of a question Hmm. because Hmm. questions are the keys that unlock life's biggest answers simply put and of all the people that i've been able to interview and the list is ridiculous i've been so blessed the one thing if they only share one thing in common, is that they never stop learning. The high achievers never stop learning. They just never stop. 
And what sources all of that learning is just simple curiosity. Here's what's interesting. When we're born, and the minute we can begin to put words together, we're asking questions. Toddlers ask literally hundreds of questions a day. In doing research for the book, we found from University of Michigan that the average, now if you juxtapose that from inherent toddler curiosity to the time we're reaching the eighth grade, we're only asking two to three, that's a real problem. So I wanted to highlight the power of a question. The way I thought I wanted to do that, and I'm really pleased with how it turned out, is I wanted to showcase people that I was going to learn from. And so I, I went after a ton. We ended up being 36 chapters, 36 of the brightest people in the world, Jim Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, Malcolm Gladwell, Pat Lencioni, President Jimmy Carter, Coach K, you know, all across the board. And I have one unique question specifically about life and something that they had the expertise and experience to be able to answer. And that's the key to really getting a great answer. Ask somebody who's actually got some experience, not just expertise. Yeah. Experts are a dime a dozen. And so what yeah. we really have is a book that is evergreen life wisdom, three categories, succeeding, surviving, sustaining. Those are the three seasons of life that we all go through. And so uh, yeah. it's a fun little book. Each chapter is four pages. I wrote it for ADD people like me. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I will appreciate that greatly as well. So folks, again, you can get that at DaveRamsey.com, Ken's book, One Question. All right. Well, I'm going to dive into this one question here. And uh, Ken, we're also, you know, we're we're watching each other via Skype and I'm getting a little, a little bit of uh, jumpiness on there. If I continue to, we'll kill our video and just go with the audio here, but uh, we're okay for now. So you know, you said that, what should I do with my life? Why am I here? And then how do you answer it? And you cite finding your sweet spot. And how do you find it? You find the intersection of greatest strength of your greatest strength and passion and further find your sweet spot, step into it, have the faith to stay until God brings you the opportunity you are prepared for. So Ken, I mean, I love this. You're uh, it's a cry of my heart right there for myself and others. It's much of what I've devoted my own vocational life to and, you know, helping people free themselves from the shackles of life in order to freely pursue and embrace God's calling for them. Uh, and this is where I want to dive into, and uh, it presupposes somewhat, your talk, that someone has aspiration or ambition, which you said earlier, you know, you were, you were very driven even as a youth. And I know some people hearing this today, they, they struggle with this. Uh, some may want more, but some may want to want more. They understand where they're at is not enough. They aren't fulfilled. They struggle with the monotony of life. They wonder, is this all there is? They feel maybe some despair, and and to some people we know, even depression. Uh, may not be acute. They have much to be grateful for. This is where I feel feel people. They're kind of in that rub. A lot to be grateful for, but they're just, something's not there. And it's a level of discontent, and they are seeking. So when it comes down to it, they're struggling with, you know, aspiration and ambition. And so that's the question I want to pose to you. You know, is it, is it really okay? Does it point to, or maybe address the discontentment that people are afraid? Maybe they shouldn't have, they should just be grateful. Uh, here's what I would say. I, I think that every person alive has a desire to be significant, period. Ambition is kind of a desire to see that significance happen really passionately, right? Like if, if you think of somebody that's ambitious, sometimes it has a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I don't think it has to be negative. I think if you are if you are aligned with the purpose for you being here, and again, that's why we try to help people with finding their sweet spot. And if you know what you're called to be, you should be ambitious to fulfill that call. To, uh, if you will, I'm a sports guy, so you know when when my last day comes, I want people to say, you know what, he gave everything he had. Yeah. He left it all out on the field. So I would go back to ambition is completely healthy if it is vertical. If you know why you're here and what your unique call is and you want to fulfill that to its maximum, that to me is healthy ambition. But I would go back to say you should never feel guilty for wanting to be everything you can be because that is actually fueled by the desire to be significant. Hmm. If someone is listening to this and they go, I don't feel that, Ken, I'm not ambitious at all, I'd say – You've you've been beaten down. You've been told a lie. Something has happened in your life where you don't feel significant anymore. And because you don't feel significant, you're not trying to move forward. And when a person realizes that they matter, that they have a unique story to tell, that they have a unique role, they do have some strengths, they do have great passions, when they realize that what awakens is that pilot light, right? We turn their pilot light of significance on. You show me a person whose pilot light is on, they know they're significant. Well, now we can help them get to where they need to go. But they first have to realize significance. When you see great pain in the world and people are lost, confused, bitter, I'm telling you, they've lost sight of their true significance. Okay, well, you just uh, hit my next question. That was it. It was for those people. You know, on one hand, so we're questioning, is it okay to have aspiration? I love how you're saying it. It comes from that desire to be significant, which especially as unto God, um, we should all be uh, understanding of that. So the aspiration is walking that out. But yeah, for those people, that was where I was going to go to next, who just, man, they can see that, they can hear you and nod, but they would say, I just don't have that fuel in me. You're saying it's because you're not feeling significant. That's that's a big statement there. So how do we turn on that pilot light of significance? So from a faith-based standpoint, would you bring that back to uh, a calling? If you feel, if you believe you have a calling, you've got to believe in your own significance? Yeah, I would say two things. Number one, for a, a faith-based audience and a non-faith-based audience, the answer is the same. Slightly different, you know, distinction here. If okay. you are a person of faith, then you must, in fact, if you call yourself a Christian, you must, in fact, acknowledge that you were created. So if you were created by God, then you have a purpose, you have some unique gifts, and you have some unique passions. If you're not a person of faith, the reality is, is all you got to do is wrestle with the fact that, what do I do well? What fires my soul when I'm doing it? And when you begin to realize that, wait a second, there are things that I can do well. There are things that make me come alive, that make me want to get up in the morning. And so that's why I talk about this little illustration of the sweet spot, which my mentor gave me, because it helps people realize, wait a second, I matter. Because when, when people are walking through life and they don't realize, wait a second, um, I, I I don't have anything that uh, I'm thinking about today that excites me. And when they realize that, they go, oh, man, what's wrong with me? And it becomes all this like internal focus on I'm not doing anything and I don't matter. When you begin to focus on, wait a second, I'm actually good at this. And boy, when I do this over here, man, I'm alive. And so that idea of finding their sweet spot, the intersection of their greatest strength and greatest passion 
Well, that's what fires the significance because all of a sudden I know exactly what I can do. I know exactly what I want to do. Here's an example. You've got a bunch of people who understand the American Idol story, right? American Idol is a cultural phenomenon. It's about ready to go through its last season. But what was a fun, entertaining part of the show actually for me was a painful part of the show, and that's the auditions. Yeah. Kid walks in, and they've been telling us on camera how great they are, and their mama says they can sing so good, right? And then they get in there, and they butcher a song, and mm -hmm. it's terrible. It's awful. And the judges look at him and go, you're terrible. You can't sing. You need to go do something else. And what happens next? It's a combination of anger, frustration. Some people are just completely shocked. They've never been told that you can't sing. They think they can sing. And they love the idea of singing. They, they love the idea of being famous, but they got no strength. So it's high on their passion line and low on their strength line. These are the people that are frustrated. Uh, they're bewildered. They walk around confused. Why can't I catch a break? Then let's flip that for a moment. Then you got the people who are really good at their job. They're knocking down serious money. They got all the toys, but their life is miserable. They're not happy. And this is the people we talk about when we say money can't buy happiness. Well, you know, money's pretty, money's pretty exciting, and, and you can be pretty happy when you use money. What's really going on there is that they're miserable when it relates to their significance. They're good at their job. They're very competent, but they hate it. It's killing them because they don't love what they're doing. That's a quick example of when you're not in the sweet spot. And so, again, back to your initial question, how do they find their significance? By looking inward and really separating all the negative voices, all the negative experiences, whatever has piled on them in life that makes them feel insignificant, get it out and look into your heart and say, what fires my soul? And then, if you don't know what you're good at, start talking to people who will be honest with you. And that's when you begin to realize, okay, these are my strengths. How do I do what I love with what I'm good at? That's, that's, that's where you find yourself in the sweet spot. And people are – they feel significant. So on that, you, those two perspectives, on one side, somebody who has a lot of passion – but they don't have strengths within that skills within that. And then the other side, strengths and skills, but no passion. Obviously that second one strengths in the analogy you use people who are in the workplace, pulling down good money, uh, which is exciting. No, no, no bones about that. But that one of course seems to be the more socially acceptable one. That's why we have Dilbert, uh, and, and cartoons in, in the office and that one is the one that can man that one pains me about as much as anything because it is we kind of have gotten to the place of that's acceptable it's acceptable to be miserable because you should be grateful for that job and so many people that are sitting there and i think they see it or do you think that they see it why is it such a polarization because we it seems to be that's it either you enjoy what you do don't don't make a lot of money at it is how people perceive it we know that uh, that's, you know, you're an artist, you're, uh, you're doing something you love, but you're eating beans and rice over here. No, you just be responsible and right. it's okay to be miserable. You're making money. Those two, how can we get people coming into some balance, I guess, yeah, which is what you're talking about. There's two things. There's two things that are happening there with the person who is in a, a job that they're really good at, but they hate it. And the reason they don't leave it, two fears. The first fear is a failure. 
right? Because if you're going to leave that, yeah. you're leaving yeah. success and all the trappings and all the so-called security to actually do something else and essentially start over. So there's fear of failure. The second fear sometimes is even greater than the fear of failure, and that is the fear of our peers. Mm-hmm. What are all my friends and family going to say if I leave a six-figure gig to go do this? Let me give you an example of exactly what this looks like. I gave this talk about a year and a half ago to a, a group of businessmen and women, and at the end of the talk, I had a guy come up to me, and he was in tears, and he said, Ken, thank you for what you just freaked me up to do. Can I tell you that I'm not in my spot, and can I tell you why? I said, sure. He said, I'm 54 years old. I own an insurance agency. He says, I'm wildly successful. I make a ton of money. He said, but I always wanted to be a basketball coach. And my dad told me, there ain't no money in coaching, son. Go make some money. And he said, I did what my dad told me to do. And today I realized for the first time how much I hate my life. Mm. How do I start coaching? He says this to me. The guy's in tears. He's 50-some years old. And I said, all right, let me find out your family situation. Asked him a couple quick questions. What are the dependents, all this? Come to find out his last kid's a senior in high school. You know, he went through a divorce recently, so there's really no one relying on him. And I said, well, what's keeping you from doing it? He goes, honestly, I just thought it would be stupid to chase it at this age. I said, Why? So then I said to him, here's what I would do if I were you. Make sure that financially you've got your, your, the last kid at home taken care of and all that stuff. I said, you're still knocking it down. You run your company. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out the, the, uh, the uh, internet, right? Get on the internet and Google all the high school basketball teams in the area. And call every coach. And even if they got a junior JV girls team, say, whatever team you allow me to help coach, here's what I want to do. I'm very successful. I don't need a paycheck. But I want to get into coaching. I'm starting from scratch. Will you let me scout a couple of your games? How can I add value to your team? You've already got a degree. I said, you've got to take the little teeny baby steps into your sweet spot. And eventually, you'll get a coaching job. It may be three or four years, and you're volunteering. You're watching games three or four nights a week, and you're helping the JV coach girls basketball. And then you, then you get a role, and maybe you start teaching at the local school so you can coach. My point is, is that I gave him permission Mm-hmm. to begin to take those little teeny steps into his sweet spot. And I've not heard from him since. I got an email from him a couple weeks later. He said, I've already called a couple coaches that are going to let me be a scout, a volunteer scout. But here's what I know. If he stayed in that sweet spot, an opportunity will come up for that guy to coach. And guess what? It's not about the money for that guy. See, the world tells us that we should be chasing success, right? And usually success is monetary value, stuff, acclaim, all that kind of stuff. I believe God wants us to chase significance. And when we chase significance, we're square in the sweet spot that he has created for us. And when we are living to our full significance, here's what I know. We'll have plenty of success. Mm -hmm. We'll have plenty of money because we're complete. We're happy. It's not about how much dollars we have or how much acclaim we have. It's that we're fulfilled every day. So that's sweet spot living. Uh, and I'm watching Tom on the screen here just smiling because when you talk about significance, you're lighting him up. Uh, uh, and, and Tom, I don't know if you realize this. It, it was right at the end of your talk, Ken, in the clip that everybody 
at, at the, that everybody just listened to where you talked about zombies, which is actually part of one of Tom's keynote speeches, which is, yeah, those mindlessly going through life as zombies. But again, back to what we just talked about, it's so um, unfortunate. That's it, such a, a light word for it, that that, again, is socially acceptable. And so I see you, I, I can see it in your face. I can hear it in you. You are wanting to light people up. I want to come back to just the, the heart of the message that you, again, I spent so much time watching your message, taking notes, looking at it. And I kept coming back in my own thinking to this appointed, this, this God appointed calling. And again, we've got, you know, a lot big faith-based audience here. We have some that are not, but I think that they respect that and, and understand that, that at the heart of it, for those who are struggling so much with, there's, there's a little pilot light. Like you said, I love that analogy. There's a little pilot light going, but they just don't know where to go with it. Give us some resources here. And I know in, um, Matter of fact, I asked you a similar question, Tom, recently, and you mentioned Strengths Finders, which is exactly what you talked about in your talk, Ken, uh, as a place to start with looking at strengths. You also mentioned just asking people that know you, getting some feedback. Now, we know, again, we're in this highly connected society that's often very isolated, and I know a lot of people out there are going to say, I, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know who to go to. Give us some more on that on these because we've got an audience here who's hungry. They, I think that I think that everybody listening has a little bit of that uh, pilot light lit, but I know a lot of them, and this has been a topic of some of our recent shows that are consuming and consuming and consuming this stuff, but they don't know where to take action. They still feel stuck. Give them a little direction. Yeah, this is so fun and so easy. My mentor did this for me on a napkin in a Houston coffee shop. And uh, the way you start is you begin to line graph, just old school line graph, right? And just, just, just write a line and, and write strengths over it. And then another line and write passions and start on the strengths and begin to write out your greatest strengths. And what you've got to be, you've got to be really, really gut honest here, like just really honest about what you do better than everything else. Not every strength you have but your top strengths and begin to identify those and then put them in order of what you think are your greatest strengths. Then I'd get some really honest truth telling people in your life who can verify or edit that list. Then I would go ahead and take the strength finders 2.0 as Tom talks about. He's absolutely right. It's a wonderful little exercise. Tom Rath. I've interviewed Tom, big fan of his work. It's going to spit out your top five and it's most likely going to read your mail, your top five strengths. And that's going to kind of help you get real honest with your strength side. Now, the passion side, it's funny when I talk to people, they think this one's the Okay. As Tom says, the Strength Finders Test is a wonderful tool, 20 minutes or so, it's going to spit out your top five, and you can take those top five and begin to compare them to your list, and then the list that your truth tellers in your life have edited for you. And so that helps you. Then you focus on your greatest passions, and it's funny... Kevin, I, I hear a lot of people tell me, well, this is the one I struggle with the most. And, and I actually think it's the easier of the two because we tend to lie to ourselves a little bit when it comes to strength. So we kind of say, oh, I'm really good at this, and maybe we're not. But with passions, it's very simple. What fires you up? What makes you feel alive when you are participating in it? Now, I use the word participating because Every personality's different, so some of us are more active in certain things that we love than others. So it may be something that you enjoy watching or reading uh, uh, or doing, right? And so what makes you come alive? What fires you up? So let me pick on myself, for instance. So when I looked at what are my greatest passions, the thing that excites me more than anything else as I looked at it was to see 
someone win. Like I broke it down to its just simplest form. I love seeing sports teams, uh, the underdog. I love seeing great teams win and win consistently. I think it's great. Um, I love to see a person turn their life around. Redemption stories fire me up. They're my favorite movies, redemption movies. Uh, books about men who came from nothing, women who overcame great odds. So I begin to see a pattern here. This is what I love. And you know what it came down to? When people or organizations or teams maximize their potential, that fires me up. I just love that. I think it's great. My favorite movie of all time is Hoosiers. Little teeny school in Indiana beats the world beaters, you know? And so I begin to realize, okay, I love to see people win and meet their full potential. Life is so very precious. I believe God put us here for a time to accomplish something specific. So when people do that, I just love it. Now, over here on my strength side, you know, I my best strength is essentially communicating, whether that's doing an interview, yeah. uh, short little quips, whether I'm on stage, whatever. I, that's just kind of the only skill I have, to be honest with you. It's easy for me. I don't have a ton of skills, but communicating was a skill. So how do I marry those two because that's the intersection of my greatest strength and greatest passion. Well, I'm doing that. I communicate on a daily basis to help people and organizations reach their full potential. So my sweet spot statement is I communicate to help people and organizations reach their full potential. Very simple for me. Now, within that sweet spot, I could do multiple things. For instance, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I'd be coaching basketball. Why? Well, because I can be a good teacher. I happen to love the game of basketball, but what I love more than that is I love seeing someone reach their full potential. So through the game of basketball, I could coach young men about life. And hopefully one day, 20 years, they come back and see me and say, Coach, you changed my life this way or that way, or you helped me become the man I'm supposed to be. So that's just a quick kind of picking on me on – what that looks like in the sweet spot. And so what you begin to do is, is really figure out what your real passion is. And then you do it with what you're great at. Quick story to illustrate. David Copperfield is the highest grossing entertainer in history. I bet neither one of you guys knew that. More than Garlicks, more than the Beatles, more than Michael Jackson. David Copperfield, the magician. He told a story on Oprah Winfrey's show one time that I was watching at home by myself, and I went bananas because this illustrates the sweet spot. He was 10 years old. He's on a day trip to Manhattan with his mom and dad, only child. They take him in a magic shop, and he sees a couple of the guys behind the counter doing stuff, and he loves it, so they buy him a couple. He takes them home, and he just he's great at it, and his parents realize David loves this, and he's really good at it. So he began to perform. Next thing you know, he's performing the top nightclubs in New York City. As a 12, 13-year-old, headlining. So Oprah asked him, how did you figure out that magic was what you want to do with your life? He goes, well, and he tells that story. And he says, I always love stories, though. I was really extra good at magic and illusions. But what I loved as a kid were stories. I was always reading novels, going to plays with my mom and dad. And so I just figured out one day, I'm really good at magic, but what I love is stories. So I'm going to start telling stories with my magic. Guy's the most successful entertainer in history. He tells stories, what he loves, with his magic, what he's good at. It's actually not very difficult. I would suggest to you that I could sit down with most people in America who are lost 
and in about 10 minutes, get them going towards their sweet spot. Well, there, is that an offer? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess we'd have to figure out how to scale it. But Call yeah. 1-899. <laughs> My point is saying that I don't think it's as difficult as we make it out. Yeah. What you're supposed to do with your life is not the big mystery that we've made it out to be. Well, and that's a big statement, and you said that in your in your talk. Um, so I want to go back to one thing you said, and we'll wrap up on this one, Ken, that you talked about giving people permission. Um, I, in the past seven years, I have worked primarily with people helping them pursue self-employment. And one, uh, so often the, the feeling that I knew was at the root of them is who am I to do something different than, and you mentioned my peers as, as such a strong, such a hard place for people to get past. And, and, and on that same note, had people also say somewhat from a critic standpoint, okay, Kevin, you think everybody should be self-employed? I mean, who's going to be the worker bees that help make us have these affordable amenities at, at Walmart? I said, it's a moot question. It's, it's a moot issue. There's always going to be that you're here because you heard something and you desire more. So for everybody who's listening that we can presuppose they, they desire more. That's why they're listening to this right now, wherever they are, whatever time in the future, they're going to be hearing this to give them permission, understanding that there are the masses out there and the, and their peers, friends, family are a lot of those masses, but they are listening and are, they could use some permission from you to acknowledge the fact that they are here. They have eyes to see. They have ears to hear. They are here. And from that, would you say, I believe you have a calling. You've yeah. got to go after it. The great American poet, Henry David Thoreau, once wrote, most men lead lives of quiet desperation yeah. and go to the grave with the song still in them. This is tragic. This is tragic. So those of you that are listening in on this, you're looking for permission. Let me just borrow Henry David Thoreau's words. And let me also borrow theology from the creator of the universe who created you with a song to sing. And I don't know how much time you have on this earth. I don't know how much time I have on this earth, but I know this. I have a song to sing. It is my story. It is my chapter in the grand cosmic scheme of things. And while it's very small, it is a specific chapter that has been written. And I would say to you that the creator of the universe has put a great passion on your heart. And then he has given you tremendous strengths to be able to perform that passion and to give that away. And I would say to the men and women that are listening here, you owe it to the rest, to the rest of the world, not just to yourself, to, to sing your song. And you have been told that you're supposed to sing a different song. You have had pressure from a variety of different life circumstances or people who said, this is the song you're supposed to sing, or you can't actually sing that song. And somewhere along the way, you've believed it and you've stopped or you never tried. And I think that Thoreau's words should haunt us all into beginning to sing our song if we haven't, if we're not already. And for those of you that are singing it, sing it louder, sing it more intentionally, help others for crying out loud, sing their song. You know, this is a parenting message as well. You know, I go to sleep very easily at night because I don't care what my kids' grades are. I know that's heretical, but I really don't care. I don't care what their grades are. I care if they find their sweet spot mm-hmm. because I was terrible in math. And if it weren't for an iPhone, I couldn't figure out anything when it comes to multiplication or division. But I know this, I'm square in the middle of the calling that the creator has given to me. 
And so I am not worried about all that other junk. I'm not worried about what other people say, what other people expect. The old evangelist said, I'm going to sing my life in the key of be natural. <laughs> that sounds like something Zig would say, you know, uh-huh. and it's just so good. So that's what I would say. There's your permission. The creator of the universe is giving you a song to sing. What are you waiting on? All right. Well, speaking of uh, playing music, you've been on the same tune as Tom Ziggler. I don't think he's ever been rendered speechless during an interview here, but he's just, <laughs> I keep getting texts going, I can't add anything to that. It's just, you guys are mirroring each other. I love that. I, I love the, we need the, these commonalities in our messages. Folks, I hope you're hearing that, uh, that you heard the heart of this. Again, you can get Ken's book, One Question, at DaveRamsey.com. Uh, hey, speaking of, before we end up, any, any events coming up, anything uh, I should draw people's attention to that you're going to be involved in where they can get a little more of this? Well, you know, we have a constant event season going. We're about ready to wrap up our fall season as we record this. Next spring, we'll have a full slate of events. And uh, the Smart Conference is a great event. Uh, the Summit, Entree Leadership Summit, Tom has been to that event. And uh, so people can just check out our events at DaveRamsey.com. And, and I want to say this. I, I want to say this to Tom I and Kevin. I appreciate both of you for continuing Zig's legacy on these podcasts. I listen to it. And I think in heaven somewhere he's, he's a little embarrassed but he's really thrilled that his words are still going out there on the digital airwaves. And it's such a legacy. And Tom, thank you for your friendship and for having me on. It, it's, it's one of my highest honors. I sincerely mean that. You bet, Ken. And I tell you, it's, it's just a privilege to have you here. Uh, I listen to you guys all the time. I'm an avid podcast, podcast fan. Uh, Dave's podcast, Entree Leadership, everything. Of course, we met a long time ago when you did your book. Uh, and so it's just great to see you there. Everybody who's listening, you know, one of the things that we say is we're on a journey from success to significance. And Ken summed it up well. He said success is what the world thinks it is. You know, everybody everybody knows that money won't make you happy, but they want to find out for themselves. And that's just not what it's at. Significance is when you help someone else be, do, or have more than they thought possible. So I hope you heard that tone in Ken's voice of, you know, significance is, you know, the sweet spot of my life. It's taken my skill and my passion that God's given me. And then the higher calling in the middle of that is when you can reach through like the basketball example that Ken gave and he can help somebody else achieve a higher level. Or I know in business coaching, what you do when you help business owners go to the next level. I mean, what's more exciting than that? That is significant. So honored to have you here and looking forward to having you again sometime in the future.